0: This is kind of a special night and a special service, and I want to do a couple of things here. Uh, I want to speak primarily to the young people at first, so I want them to get a good seat and uh, settled in because I, uh, I want them to be sure and uh, get a word or two here. And then at the end, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, renew your vows that you made, some of you made a long, long time ago. Amen. <laughs> I notice the guys are pretty, you know, they, they're they pretty courageous, you know, when they get in church and they get to, wait <laughs> till they get home. Yeah, right. At sweet 16, I first began to ask the good Lord for a man. (laughs) At 17, I recall I wanted someone strong and tall. At Christmas, I reached 18. I fancied someone blonde and lean. And then at 19, I was sure I'd fall for someone more mature. At 20, I thought I'd find romance with someone with a mind. I retrogressed at 21 and found college boys most fun. My viewpoint changed at 22 when one man only was my cue. I broke my heart at 23 and asked for someone kind to me. They then begged at blase 24 for anyone who wouldn't bore. Now, Lord, that I'm 25, just send me anyone who's alive. isn't? <laughs> Could you have written that? (laughs) Sandy Crow, did you write that poem? (laughs) And some of the Pharisees came to him testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male, made them male and female and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now would you just give me ever a bit of your attention for about 20 minutes? If you were to tell me tonight that you were going to take a journey and I told you that the road that you had chosen to travel was dangerous and treacherous, and that one out of two people that travel that road never make it but wind up in a terrible accident, you'd probably say to me, tell me all about it. I want to know the pitfalls and the problems. I want to know the treacherous, dangerous road. I want to know all about it. I want to get all the information I can. What I've just described to you is marriage. One out of every two couples that begin this road of life together called marriage wind up at the side of the road a wreck. So it behooves us, everyone, as young people facing marriage and as adults trying to counsel young people who are facing marriage to find out all that we can about this treacherous journey, to find out what is really involved. Because if you make the right marriage and make the right choice, doors will be opened unto you to bring the greatest happiness and fulfillment beyond your wildest dreams. But if you marry the wrong person, you may spend your life as an emotional cripple as a psychological invalid, and more tragic than that, you may wind up in a divorce and see your greatest dreams and your ideals and your hopes shattered. I want to talk to you tonight about what it means to be ready for marriage. I want us to look first of all at some tests. We're just going to take some tests. The first question in the test is this, are you in love? Christian marriage is predicated on emotional love. This is not true in every culture. For example, in India, many couples are mated together by their parents. Their parents choose their mate as early as two or three years, and so they are committed in marriage to persons to people they've never met and they do not even know. And so their marriage love is not the kind of love that you and I are familiar with in in this Christian society. It is not emotional love. And Christian marriage is predicated, is based upon the fact that the emotions and the feelings of the individual are significant and important. And Christian marriage must be based upon a love relationship first. So are you in love? You might be answering, you might be saying, I don't really know, but I think I am. How can you really know when you're in love with someone, when you really love somebody in the way that would lead to a successful and fulfillment in marriage? Well, I want to ask you some questions that relate to that and I'll seek some answers with you. The first question, can you find happiness making the other person happy? Can you find happiness living your life out, making the other person happy? This is in contrast to an attitude that they are there to make you happy. And it rules out the possibility of changing him or her after marriage. Can you live your life making the other person happy just to fulfill them? Question two, can I see the faults and the weaknesses of the other person and still love him? The bell of the midnight ball may be a plain quarrelsome person at the breakfast table and the Saturday night or Friday night football hero may be a cowardly mama's boy when the real game of life is being played. If you cannot adjust to the weaknesses and the faults and the failures of another in the engagement or dating period, don't expect any kind of adjustment or change after marriage. Question three, does the other person really know who I am? Can I be open and transparent to him or her? Can I be honest? Does he really know my fears and my dreams and my ambitions? Can I really be open to him without fearing that he'll reject me or or not love me? Question four. Can I see myself washing 50,000 dishes and carrying out the garbage 365 days a year for 50 years. You see, true love gets down to the practical aspects of daily living, the responsibilities of babies and bottles and budgets. Question five, will I love him when he adds 30 pounds to his weight and loses his hair? Is my relationship built upon something other than physical attraction? Can I say that again? Is the relationship that I've established with him and her, is it based upon something more than the physical attractiveness of that person? Is it based upon the durable qualities of character rather than the transitory physical attraction of that individual? Here's a big question. Am I better because, am I a better person because of him or her? Does the relationship that we have established, does it draw us closer to God? Does it make me a better person? Does it make me more faithful to the the church and to the will of God? Does it make me a better person at home? Does it make me a better child, more obedient to my parents? Does the relationship we have make us better? That's a big question. Question number seven. Can I respect him highly as my partner? Can I respect her? Can I introduce him or her and be proud of it? Can I go freely into the presence of God with him in prayer, believing that our relationship is such that God would smile upon it and literally bless it? Am I really in love? That's the big question. Question number two in the test, are you matched? There's an old proverb that says that the guy ought to marry the girl who lives across the street. Now, I I think that what he means by, what that proverb means is that he emphasizes and underscores the fact that we ought to marry those similar to us in background and ideals and expectations. Are we really matched? Some simple questions. How long have I really known him? How long have we known each other? Do we really know each other? Have we really talked about things that are deeper than surface things? What kind of family does he come from? Now, I know the question or the the answer that young people give a lot of times is, well, that really doesn't matter. I'm not marrying his parents, but if if he comes from a background where there is bickering and fighting, and and irreligion and immorality, if he comes from that kind of background, he's inclined to bring these same expectations and patterns into your relationship. For what we learn and experience in our home, determines to a great deal what kind of home we ourselves seek to establish. You just can't get away from that. What kind of an environment or background does he come from? Or does she come from? Question three concerning this is what are the ideals and the values of that person? Let me tell you this truth, young people, hear me. There are a lot of things that you can adjust to when you get married. You can adjust to a lot of weaknesses and and inequities in another person. But if you marry somebody who doesn't have the same value system, who doesn't have the same ideals and goals you have, you're going to have tremendous problems. You just can't adjust to that kind of thing if you've been brought up to love the Lord and honor the Lord and you've been taught in Sunday school and you've come to church most of your life and you've been kind of established in the basic foundations of scriptural principles and truth you just can't adjust to somebody who doesn't have those same values. Two things will result you'll either leave him or you'll leave her or you'll compromise and you'll reject your values and you'll be happy for unhappy for the rest of your life? What kind of values and ideals does this other person have? There's a third question with regard to are you in, are you in love? And that is, are you matured? Marriage is for adults and not for children. Did you know that the divorce rate for those who marry before the age of 20 is four times as high as those who marry after age 20? And you say, well, I am physically mature enough. That may be true. That is true probably. Uh, Young people in mid-teens are physically mature enough to bear children. But just because you are physically mature does not mean that you are socially and emotionally mature. What are you like at home? Let me just establish a a, a hypothetical illustration. I know this doesn't apply to any of you. But let's suppose that at home there is this young lady and she is really not mature. And when she's given responsibility in the home like doing the normal chores, she just is irritated and resists that and rejects that, has a a temper tantrum when impressed to do that. Do you think she's ready to assume responsibilities in a married relationship? Or here is a guy who is given responsibilities and chores to do at home, and he's he rejects those kinds of things and chafes under the responsibility of them at home. Do you think he's mature to accept the responsibilities of marriage? You're not ready for marriage until you're emotionally and psychologically as mature as you are physically mature. Now, are you mature? Some simple questions. How do you take criticism? Do you respond to criticism in a positive way or do you resent it and hate it and get angry? Do you do what you should do without procrastination? A question of maturity, young people. Do you do what you should do without procrastination? How do you handle the things that are unpleasant and routine? Do you lose your temper? Do you have the capacity to give and receive love? Do you have the capacity to forgive? If you cannot answer these questions in a positive way, you need to be aware of the problems that are waiting out there in marriage. They're like red flags. They're like warning signals. There's a fourth test. Are you educationally and vocationally prepared for marriage? Educationally? Have you received the training you need to establish a home? The education you need to be highly competitive in a competitive marketplace, a society that requires educated and trained people. I was reading the other day that one out of every two teenage marriages ends in divorce. One out of every 70 marriages end in divorce where both are graduated from college. And one out of 270 marriages end in divorce where the girl has her degree in domestic science or homemaking. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but it says to me that the chances of making a successful marriage without an education are slim. If you get married and you let that marriage stop your education and your training, you're going to condemn yourself and your partner and your children to a hard existence. Do you have an adequate income? These are important questions. Are you ready for marriage? Let's suppose that a person is ready to get married. He answers positively to all these questions. What what, what is there out there? What, What things need to be done? I just want to get practical with you just for a minute. I want you to kind of jot some of these down and I hope that you'll use them sometime to help others. Number one, don't get in a hurry. Hastily, marriage, hastily prepared marriages oftentimes end up in trouble. Spend some time together. Don't run off and get married to escape an unhappy home life. Don't jump into somebody else's arms just to get away from a bad scene. Spend some time talking to your pastor or to a counselor or to your teacher. Get some books concerning marriage and begin to read them. Take some time. Plan a religious ceremony. Let this be the most important time in your life. Let it be a time when you feel the presence of God in a worshipful way. Become engaged. Why? Well, engagement becomes a time of testing. It becomes a time of preparation. It becomes a time to prepare for the practical things. Spend some time. Involve yourself in an investigation, what it involves. And the ultimate preparation for marriage is to be ready spiritually to build a Christian home. Now you can imagine that in Durant, Oklahoma, where you can get married the same day that you get your marriage license, that that, uh, Lee and I uh, spend a lot of time uh, talking to people and and having marriage ceremonies in our office. We have two or three a week come from other towns. And one of the problems that I have with trying to do that with young people is, and and some of them are not so young, is how do you help a person to, to get ready to build a Christian home? You can't have a Christian home and a Christian marriage unless you both are Christians. And just because you're Christian does not mean that you have a Christian home. A Christian home involves more than just two Christians being married. It involves the worship of God together. It involves praying together. It involves sharing in the things of God together. It involves the worship of God together in our relationship. I don't, I don't think I did that, did I? Can I get too ex- did I get that excited and do that to that? What caused that? When you get to the altar and prepare to have a Christian marriage, there are three things that need to come to your mind, three things that need to be involved. One is deliberation. When you make a vow, and we're going to share these marriage vows again in a minute, you understand that you're making a promise not just to one another. You're making a promise to God. For I have a basic conviction that my marriage is a lifetime commitment to God and to my marriage partner. And what I'm understanding here is that I am making this commitment to God and to my marriage partner. There must be not only deliberation, there must be determination. This is for better or for worse. I tell the couples that, I'm, that I talk to in, in premarital counseling, You need to throw away the uh, parachute. And they look at me kind of crazy. And I say, you know, people put on a parachute in case the plane starts to go down so they can bail out. And I say, there's no bailing out. You You don't put on the parachute. You stay in there for better or worse. And there needs to be dedication. You come in the presence of God and you dedicate your life to one another. A few years ago, a young lady wrote this letter to Charlie Shedd. Will you let me read this and then I'm through. The title of the letter is, What It Is Like to Be Married at Seventeen. Jimmy and I couldn't wait to be married, big deal. Let me tell you what it's like to be married at 17. It's like living in this dump on the third floor and your only window looks out on somebody else's third floor dump. It's like coming home at night so tired you feel like you're dead from standing all day at your checker's job. But you don't dare sit down because you might never get up again. And there are so many things to do like cooking and washing and dusting and ironing. So you go through the motions and you hate your job and you ask yourself, why don't I quit? And you already know it's because there are grocery bills and drug bills and rent bills and doctor bills. And Jimmy's crummy little check from the lumb- lumber yard won't cover them, that's why. Then you try to play with the baby until Jimmy comes home, only sometimes you don't like, feel like playing with her. But even if you do, you get this awful feeling that you're only doing it because you feel guilty. She's so beautiful, and you know it isn't fair to her to be in that old lady's nursery all day long. Then you wash diapers, and you fix formula, and you hate it. And you wonder how long it will be until she can tell how you feel. And won't it be awful if she, wouldn't it be awful if she could tell already? Then Jimmy comes home, and you know it is. Then, then Jimmy doesn't come home, and you know it is because he's out with the boys doing the things he didn't get to do because you had to get married. So finally you go to bed, and you cry yourself to sleep, telling yourself that it really is better when he doesn't come home because sometimes he says the cruelest things. Then you ask yourself, why does he hate me so? And you know it's because he feels trapped. And he doesn't love you anymore like he said he would. Then he comes home and he wakes you up and he starts saying all the nice things he said before you got married. And you know it's only because he wants something And yet you want to believe that maybe it's the old Jimmy again. So you give in. Only when he gets what he wants, he turns away. And you know he's only using you once more. So you try to sleep, but you can't. This time you cry silently because you don't want to admit that you care. You lie there and you think. You think about your parents and your brothers and the way they teased you. You think about your backyard and the swing and the treehouse and all the things you had when you were little. You think about the good meals your mother cooked and how she tried to talk to you, but you were just sure she'd forgotten what it was like to be in love. Then you think about your girlfriends and the fun they must be having at the prom you think about the college you plan to go to and you wonder who will get the scholarship they promised you you wonder who you would have dated in college who you might have married and what kind of job you would have suddenly you want to talk so you reach over and you touch Jimmy but he's far away and he pushed you aside so now you cry yourself to sleep for real if you ever meet any girls like me who think they're just too smart to listen to anyone, I hope, Dr. Shedd, you'll tell them that this is what it's really like to be married at 17. Are you ready to get married? Are you really in love? Are you really matched are you really mature do you have enough education I hope and pray and I trust that every young person in this room tonight who probably will not hear a lot or remember a lot of what has been said but I hope that some of this might come back sometime because I want you to have the very best marriage it's possible for you to have and I want you to know that God has somebody special just for you God is saving somebody just for you. And I want you to begin to pray with your parents. Ask them to pray with you. God, help me to find that person you have for me. Keep me pure, good, and right. And keep him or her Pure and good and right, just for us, just for me. I want you to begin to pray that with your mom and your dad. Sounds kind of weird? Start praying that. And when God brings you together, it'll be almost like Adam when he first saw Eve. Can you imagine what he must have said when he saw her? Wow, he, this is it. And God will help you to know in your heart, this is the person for me. I want your marriage to be just what it ought to be. I think I have a great marriage because of the greatness of my wife. But you know, I don't guess anybody ever, ever talked to me about what it meant to be married. And I was 18 when I got married. I went and talked to my preacher. Mother made me go talk to the preacher. One little session before I got married. And all he said was, if you're going to go to seminary and be a preacher, you better wait till you get out of college to get married. That's all he said. I hope that somehow, somewhere along the way, these ideas will come back. And there are going to be some of us that stand right here before you, young people, before this congregation. And we're going to renew our vows to one another. And if you'd like to do that, you'd like to renew your vow with your wife. I'd like for you to come right now. You'll have her on your left arm. And I want you just to stand right down here. Would you do that right now? Now, if you don't want to do this, you you don't feel compelled to do it. It's just a strictly voluntary thing. Now, do you see mom and dad down here? Can we move kind of back this way so these folk can come right down here to this altar? Now let me read this passage of Scripture. Let me read this passage of Scripture. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what is going to happen in the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak and a mountain would be removed, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people and if I burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love, it would be of no value whatever. Love is very patient and kind Never jealous or envious. Never boastful or proud. Never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. It will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him or her no matter what the cost, you'll always believe in him. You'll always expect the best of him. And you'll always stand your ground in defending him. Now, will you join your right hands? Fellas, you'll repeat after me. To your wife, so you'll want to look at her. Dear, I accept you as God's gift to me, and I rejoice and thank Him for you. And I pledge in you my vow to honor you, to cherish you, to protect you, as long as we shall live. Now will you repeat after me? Dear, I accept you as God's gift to me. And I rejoice and thank God for you. And I renew my vow to honor you, to cherish you, to do everything reasonably possible to promote your happiness as long as we shall live. Let's pray together. Say with me, our Father who art in heaven, you may kiss your bride. you to go and live in love for the rest of your life. Lee, you might want to come this way, and we're going to have a fellowship in Fellowship Hall. God bless you folks, and good night. You're dismissed.